Welcome, everyone, to another special edition, the Our Strange Skies podcast. And this week, we uh, we have a very strange case that uh, I stumbled upon in an old issue of Flying Saucer Review, and I felt like I couldn't cover this one alone. So I have tapped two enigmatic entities themselves. <laughs> Smart stores. Rob Morphy, the Kryptonaut Podcast. How's it going, guys? Oh, shit. We're here. There I you can't go. believe we're here. We're finally on a legitimate podcast for once in our sore lives. <laughs> After all these years, we finally made it. Holy shit. We've done it. We've graduated. Chris is here with us in spirit, but Mark, you and I, we finally achieved podcast immortality we did i, I don't here. know if i would put myself that high up there but i appreciate it you're <laughs> hyping me up and i i respect the hell out of that <laughs> yeah no it's good shit obviously you have a great podcast we're not here to be you know the mutual appreciation society but sincerely you are the shit in quotes italicized your research is impeccable i you know we love your work so it's a real honor to be on with you rob yeah, uh, and likewise, you know, uh, you know, it's mutual respect between podcasters. There true, you go. True. There it is. Awesome. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having us. It's, um, it's I finally am on the Our Strange Guys podcast. Shit, there it is. I made it. You are. You are. You have awesome. made it, gentlemen. And man, this fucking story, I, I'm still kind of baffled by it. Normally, when you talk about like UFOs or alien sighting, sans alien abductions, it's like one event and that's it. Mm-hmm. In this story, we have fucking a gaggle of goddamn events here. So many fucking events. The belief factor is like, it's tough. It's tough on this one, but it's a fucking barn burner of a story, gentlemen. Nice. It All is. right. I'm excited. It really is. I can't wait because I've never encountered this before and I don't know hardly anything about it which i love but what i glanced at is mind-boggling that it's not the stuff of legend and so you really unearthed the gem here rob and uh i'm very excited to get down with this hell yes gentlemen so our story today takes us to south middleton massachusetts it's about 15 miles north of boston and the site where this takes place it's on River Street. They got very specific here, as some UFO reporters do. I remember when uh, Betty and Barney Hill's details were coming out about their case. I mean, they were fucking doxing them, putting their personal information in like UFO newsletters. So specific, but not too specific. And this particular incident involves a family called the Gould family. There are five members of this family. Thomas, who is uh, 52 years old at this time. He is the patriarch of the family. He emigrated from Canada. He served in the RCAF, which is your Royal Canadian Air Force, for four years as a medic. And he was self-employed as a carpenter at the time. And the house that they lived in, he built it himself. Kind of like my uncle did. He's uh, handy. Fucking building shit. There you go. I dig it. 
There's his wife, Teresa, who is 50 years old, and they have three children. Alan, 21 at the time, Nancy, age 20, and Douglas, age 14. Odd things began happening around the Gould homestead in mid-1977, and it really exploded in 1978. But what's interesting here is that the sightings were not just limited to these family members. There were additional family members that witnessed activity on their property, as well as some of the friends of the children. A whole fucking weird mess of shit. So the first event, it happens to actually the woman that is called the grandmother, who I assume is Teresa's mother in this case. Obviously, they didn't want to identify her, which is fine. She had a sighting of what came to be known as the Prowler. Over the course of damn near a year, this family would see odd figures just in odd places on their property. Sometimes very seldom was it in their house. It was usually just on their property. But the grandmother had had a sighting of a UFO in June of 1962 She had uh, witnessed it following a thunderstorm shortly after midnight when she saw a round light just grow in size and like separate into smaller bits of light before they disappeared. The first incident in this mini flap here. Before you get into that first incident, can we just take time to appreciate how eerie the fucking prowler is? Like, Mm -hmm. that alone Mm -hmm. is just the title. Like, if it was the name of the book that should be written about this event, The Prowler and sundry other (laughs) evil shit that will keep you up all night, (laughs) dot com, except it's not a website, it's a book by Rob Christofferson, fucking, it would be just, I'd be, like, riveted. Like, it's The Prowler. It feels so icky and insidious, like, right out the gate. Yeah. Things that are there that should not be there have no place being there. I think what's weird is that what you're going to find is the family's reactions throughout this are not normal. Yes, they do call the cops after some of these incidents, but they never really find anything. It all begins on a night in June, roughly around 9 p.m. in 1977, And the grandmother was walking from her home to the Goulds, which was a short distance away from her house. And she was going to greet her grandson, Doug. I don't know what this woman was doing up at 9 p.m. walking over to her daughter's house. That's kind of weird, but people do what they do. Grandmas get hard urges to greet their grandkids. (laughs) It doesn't matter day or night. She probably had a batch of something. I don't know if it was cookies, (laughs) cakes, and pie, but Doug was about to get hooked up. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was <laughs> he was getting hooked up with the good stuff. As she was approaching the porch, she noticed a figure to her right, and it was wearing a white shirt and dark trousers. This strange being had its back to her, and that is a common motif in a lot of these sightings, is a lot of these beings just have their back to whatever family members. Oh, and was approximately five foot seven inches tall and it had short dark hair she assumed that it was her son-in-law reasonable i mean because when when you see the white shirt the short dark hair about five seven if it is what tom happens to look like from behind it is not out of the question to presume as such so maybe in this situation we have this being whatever it is 
taking on the form of a family member, which is even more terrifying. And I don't like that. Not a fan, not a fan at all. So she calls out to Doug. And when he replied, she noticed that he was actually on the porch and not right next to her, which, yeah, it was kind of weird the way they worded it. Cause I'm like, you think it's your son-in-law, but then you see Doug kind of takes your, eyes away from him but she turned toward him and then when she turned back this figure was gone it so just disappeared the, the blink of a fucking eye just yeah doug's on the port and hey, doug back to tom tom's gone no unless there was like a huge shrub or a boulder or something there that you know was not mentioned chances are a human being cannot you'll see him running away or maybe dodging but not like they couldn't be vanishing that quick obviously presuming that there isn't something that it could have hidden behind, which I'm sure grandmother would have mentioned in advance. Oh yeah, definitely. And he would have made a fuck ton of noise getting away. There's no way that he wouldn't have, you know, you would have heard the footfalls or something, but just turned and gone. And I don't like the story No, from here on out. It's icky. (laughs) It's icky because it is. It's gross. yeah, Yeah. Things that disappear too quickly. Fuck you up. And make you question everything, and that's no good. But unfortunately, uh, I know because I got a sneak preview, it gets a hell of a lot worse for these poor bastards. Oh boy. It does. It really does. And a little bit later that year, there was a cattle mutilation traced to a 15-year-old niece of the Gould family. So not just this property, but weird shit happening on family members' properties, The girl's family lived in the Blaze Ranch area, which was approximately half a mile away from the Hmm. Gould residence. And in late September, early October, two black and white spotted calves went missing on the ranch. The missing calves were found two days later on top of a hill known locally as the, quote, Indian burial grounds. Oh, it's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> you moved you moved the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies. That's where this Did is ya. going. Yeah, always. Did ya? <laughs> we got a uh, pet cemetery situation here and oh, um their heads had been torn to shreds, many organs had been removed and a large pool of blood was found near the bodies. Not Which is dead. interesting to note because as as your listeners know and I know you know, uh Proper cattle mutilations are usually known for exsanguinations without available blood and very precision cuts. So this seems very brutal, animalistic, almost carnal in its violence, and not like a typical, you know, allegedly extraterrestrial cattle mutilation. Yeah, absolutely. And they were not able to find any teeth marks on the bodies. There were no incisions, so they were kind of unsure of how this happened now they did mention that packs of wild dogs were said to roam around the area so it's possible that maybe they were involved in this but they rarely kill without their teeth Just, yeah you know, exactly. throwing it out there <laughs> unless there's you know like skinwalkers or something right. i don't see yeah, it happen really. or they're throwing big dog elbows and just fucking putting it <laughs> down old school <laughs> wwf style just owning that shit you know, uh, backyard wrestling, sometimes I think the animals get involved. And uh, <laughs> you know what would be great is if somebody made a Toy Story kind of movie, but with animals doing backyard wrestling. It'd be so fucking great. <laughs> yeah, first in line for that one. Absolutely. 
just like those long LED bulbs just getting crushed over people's oh, heads <laughs> shopping carts through the through the ring. Oh man, I miss backyard wrestling. Oh, so oh, great. I know. Such a good time. God. It's interesting to note too that the front leg of one of the calves was also missing. So, hmm. you know. So weird. Like if there if there's no if there's teeth mark and claw marks, you know, okay, it was devoured. Done and done. Right. Sans that, you're like it is brutal shredding, so it's uh, either a random Freddy Krueger tulpa, or yep. there's some weird nefarious shit that you can't explain, and they wanted a souvenir like all the worst serial killers, may they all rot in hell. So it's still disturbing. Yeah, if it's a Freddy Krueger kind of situation here, I kind of feel bad for it, because I would assume that whoever's doing it would be laying one-liners on this fucking calf, and it just doesn't <laughs> understand <laughs> Pithy, timely <laughs> remarks that even made the audiences cringe, but the cow was like, seriously, you're ripping my face off. I don't give a fuck how funny you are at all. It's not helping this situation. God, no, stop. Oh, how sweet fresh meat. I'm pretty sure that was Freddy Krueger, or it could have been Hellraiser or Pinhead. I'm not sure, but. Ah, it crosses over. It blends. It's 30 years God. ago plus. Oh, Jesus, that's funny. Well, I mean, we all know that part of Freddy Krueger's legacy was inspired in the Adirondacks. Thus, uh, Mad Stop is pot stamp backwards. Oh, Oh, interesting. Hot damn. Yes. There it is. McBlown. I attended college in in Potsdam for about a year. And like that was one rumor that went around a lot because I think Wes Craven had spent like I think he attended college there or something like that. And allegedly, that is where he drew some of his inspiration for that. Oh, shit. That's kind of awesome. Cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, he definitely sure. was a college student slash professor before he almost made a porn film that he brilliantly turned into a horror film called Last House on the Left and changed drive-ins forever. One of my earliest drive-in memories was its 11th re-release. And being so scarred, I was actually like, Mom, is this a movie? <laughs> She's like, yeah, we're leaving right now. I'm seven. She was a great woman. She was really sweet to take me. But I'm like, this doesn't feel like a movie anymore. Yeah, so, Wes Craven, why, thank you. Rest in peace yeah, for fucking me forever. This is why forever. you are and were a haunted child. So, Oh, I'm know. always going to be a haunted child. But I do love horror films forever. God bless my mom and the drive-ins. That's my digression. It's over. <laughs> So was that the movie that kind of like fucked up your brain oh, at, at a young age? Yeah. It made me wonder because I, you know, my parents weren't big on home movies. It made me wonder like, at what point are you filming things that are obviously pretend like say the A-team or whatever, and you're filming things that really happen that are so horrible. This should be shown in a courtroom and not at my local drive-in. <laughs> and I questioned it and it haunted me and it was fucking brutal. I mean, that's completely fair. I think uh, the thing that fucked me up was the Talkie Tina episode of The Twilight Zone. Oh, God. I, uh, <laughs> I will never. Tell and then fucking uh, Savalas owned that shit. He did. I mean, he fell down the stairs like he owned that. He owned falling down the stairs. Oh, he I did. He owned being bald before it was cool. Thank you, Telly, yep. for the rest of yep. us that have fucking no hair and shave their heads and he owned falling down the fucking stairs because a doll scares you so much you have no choice but to die yeah exactly and you know the doll's the father now and, and, and that. 
Thank you, Telly Savalas. <laughs> Thank Nobody you for failing as a father, Telly Savalas. Exactly. <laughs> you failed. <laughs> yeah. But you taught sir. us in your failure. The lessons we learned from your abject failure brought us somewhere better, I'd like to think. Oh, God. I, I would like to. And then um, I caught a glimpse of uh, Puppet Master on TV, and it didn't add to, like... Nope. It's not going to help. It's not going to help. No, it's never. not going to help. Nope. Yep. Not at all. Stuart Gordon's dolls. That did no favors for anything ever. Nope. Sure didn't. Lest, lest we mention Child's Play. But we're not here to talk sure about didn't. animate dolls that want to slay us in our sleep. <laughs> it's easy to go down rabbit holes with us. Rob, I'm so sorry. This is what happens when you talk to the Kryptonaut pod. We will fucking take you to places that have nothing to do with where we're going. Dolls yep. are horrible. I think we can all agree. They move at night and they all want us dead. And if they could move faster, I think they exist and they're living, but their time frames are so much more uh, broad spectrum than ours that the little bit they move and we can perceive it is not enough to slay us. But if they could move faster, it would be the world of dolls and we fucking yeah. know it. Yep. Yeah. That's 100 that. fucking percent. <laughs> I completely agree with you. God damn it. <laughs> Keep your eyes peeled. They're fucking. They're coming for you. Oh yep. God. It is. Uh, it is a justified fear. As is the Goulds family's fear is about to ratchet up. It was mid-November of 1977 when the first Gould family member had an experience, and this was the youngest child, Douglas. You know, he's a young psychopath. He's burning plastic cars by a shed. So, you know, um, I, I wow. picture a young I picture a young Mark Stores here. You know, <laughs> I was just going to say it sounds like me. <laughs> I literally I can remember the day my dad showed me how to do a WD-40 torch. And oh, I'm like, God. life is different now. My dreams can become a reality. <laughs> And like Mark Storrs, he was pointing to the guy saying, fuck you, Ozone. I don't even know what you are in 77, but fuck oh, you. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah. All right. So he's, he's burning, so he's burning his cars. precious toys. Hard so, yeah, we got young yeah. Mark Storrs yep. burning his toys, <laughs> hanging out at dumpsters, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I technically Living his life. Was, that was technically my residence for like a day and a half until my friend could no longer feed me. But thank you, Courtney. I am appreciative of you feeding me. While she I was, was a good buddy. She was. I, I just saw her a couple days ago, actually. So thank I hope you. you thanked her again. <laughs> Slipped her a 20. I ate all my rations that day. That's good. That's good. You should, because, I mean, that dumpster life is not easy. <laughs> no, 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 but I'm, no, I'm prepared. Not. If I if I ever have to go back, I'm ready. So there you go. Hopefully I get self right. there. Don't forget, folks, step into Mark's office. He'll tell you the truth. <laughs> That's right. I'm Thanks. here for you. So this kid just burning shit in a shed. Nice. Cool. Yeah, he's burning, burning shit by the shed, and he's startled by the sound of leaves being crunched under a foot. Douglas looks in the direction of that sound and observed a four and a half foot tall figure wearing a white suit that covered its body from head to toe. Hmm. And the being wore a squarish kind of style helmet that bore two eye holes. And on its hands, the being wore what appeared to be mittens. Like uh, when they talk about the Pascagoula aliens, they often talk about like a crab claw crab or something claws, like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. but, but I think 
if I remember Charles Hickson's description in the book that he wrote, he said it, it didn't really resemble like a claw. It was more like a mitten. Mm. And in this hmm. case, that's kind of what it resembled. The pictures that we're going to throw up online from that were in Flying Saucer Review, it, it, it looks like a child's mitten almost. It's um, one big knobby fucking hand with a thumb on it, you know? So, so ostensibly totally... part of what could have been um, an <clears throat> interplanetary slash interdimensional slash inter whatever environmental protection suit. Yeah, it I could mean, be. Our astronauts wear the bulkiest of gloves. They might as well be mittens. And maybe they have a different finger or hand arrangement. Who the hell, you know, who knows? So my first thought, whenever I see bulky kind of hand grips, it's that it's something to protect you from wherever you are, be it oven mm-hmm. mitts or beyond. Oven mitts or, you know, kids burning plastic toys. You know? <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. You know, or, or maybe it's just a really weird, like useless appendage. Cause you have like a thumb in this one big meaty mall. Like, what are you going to do with that? You can't do anything. No, you need a mitten. If you have a meat maw, you need a mitten. (laughs) You got to cover that up because you're going to offend people by that thing. It's disgusting. Yeah, don't don't judge the meat paw, man. (laughs) Don't be a dick. Look at dude. It's 2020. Be cool with the fucking meat paw. Just because you have enormous hands, okay? Listen, it's fine. We're all friends. We're all here. Finding me to shed burning toys. So (laughs) let's get back to Doug. I agree. So this this being kind of walked like it was stiff as a board. It didn't move its joints all that much, uh, but it ducked behind the shed. And it was then that the teen ran indoors to notify his father of the strange man on their property. Tom went out into the yard and noticed the strange being standing behind a car in the backyard. Huh. The fearless father approached the strange man and attempted to place a hand on the being's shoulder, but... Moments before he did that, it completely disappeared. The fuck? Of course it did. Why wouldn't it? Not good. I no. This is this is fuck all bullshit. Yeah. Um, No, just fuck this. Fuck this entire thing. It was uh, UFO researcher David Webb that noted how it might have been the smoke that attracted this being to that area, but. Weird beings going to be weird, going to do their weird shit wherever they will fucking want to. And they're going to be completely fucking weird about it. You know, that's the succinct way to fucking sum this up. I guess. If, if I may, just really quick, I know your mm-hmm. usual audience is going to fucking be killing us for these digressions. <laughs> but something occurs to me about extraterrestrial slash interdimensional visitation. I don't know what it is that might not have been explored yet. And that is if you get super high off plastic, our world is essentially cocaine one and you Mm -hmm. fucking come here and someone's burning plastic and you're like well there's no way i'm not getting a hit it makes sense all the visitation everyone (laughs) like credits the first you know detonation of nuclear bomb and of course it's followed you know soon after by the arnold sighting it could be that plastics were starting to gain ground and it was going to become what literally all our oceans and landfills would be made of plus supermarkets why not if if this is what you i mean this might be literally columbia to the rest of the world Holy shit. God damn. We are the drug suppliers for the universe. So, and we don't even know it. We can't even legislate. We can't do anything. And 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 maybe there is oppressive intergalactic governments that are coming down on us, but I don't know which human being is fucking uh, Pablo Escobar 
it's probably like the guy that runs Tyson Chicken or, or some dumb shit that we don't even know about because they're just <laughs> plastic wrapping everything. And he doesn't even know. He's the universe's biggest supplier of high as a kite. I and mean, I guess it, it could be Lego, really. I mean, Oh, my God. Oh, shit. Those yeah. fucking Denmarkian... <laughs> Danish? <laughs> yeah, I drew a blank for a second. I, I, I lost my Denmark for a second. I'm Those currently... bastards are fucked when the when the when the drugs are fucking enforcement agency comes crashing down from another cosmos. Yeah, I'm currently building a tie interceptor with my son, so that's why I thought of Lego because boy, there is a lot of pieces to that Lego. So, well, I mean, it's a tie interceptor, man. I mean, I that's not just—it's not a regular tie fighter. It's a little Ex- beefier. Exactly. I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of hoping for the bomber. I'm like, I want to get a yeah. tie bomber. Couldn't find one. Had to settle for the interceptor. But there, hey, it's good time Boom. with your son, and that's what matters. Exactly. But, yeah. Before we go on, let's just give a fair warning to Denmark. <laughs> you, you're the first to get fucked in this. When they finally uh, get yep. here, if they move at half the pace of dolls, just be prepared. All right, yeah. yeah, I can I can envision. Okay, uh, I've got a scenario here for you. July Fourth, Independence Day. Ah. We got the alien beings. We've detected them on radar. They're coming down into our cities, and where are they coming down? Lego factories, Absolutely. toy factories. <laughs> they're coming. Yes. They're coming for our playthings. It's just bound to happen. (laughs) I think we fucking we've blown this fucking conspiracy open. It's about time. um, That's right. There it is. Yeah, you You know, know, it took both of us to make the truth happen, but uh, I guess this is disclosure, and you're welcome, world. (laughs) Yeah, just remember, they're not going to land on the White House lawn. They're going to land in Denmark at the fucking Lego factory. (laughs) Hundred percent. It was about two months later when this whole fucking thing just blows up and and just really gets out of proportion. And it began on Monday, January 9th, 1978. Doug at the time was staying with relatives at a nearby home and they had family over. They don't really make it clear exactly who these family members are or what or whatnot. But uh, at the time... Nancy, the daughter, and Teresa were in the living room that evening, and from a nearby dining room window, they caught sight of a yellowish-white light moving toward the ground. Teresa would later describe not one, but three small, round lights. Hmm. And it's kind of interesting because the grandmother, you know, allegedly saw something that broke into three small lights. Right. We got some themes coming back here, but uh, Nancy turned quick enough to see this light from a closer vantage point. She described it similarly as uh, yellowish, and it was Nancy that ran outside and observed the light wink out of existence behind a group of trees in the distance. So Rendlesham um, as fuck. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah. very Rendlesham. Uh, she ran back inside to call a friend. And five minutes after hanging up, she went to call another, but found that the phone was dead. Oh, it was dead for up to 20 minutes. And during that time, a family member attempted to call, but was unable to get through Hmm. the fuck. It's going to ratchet up here, though, really, really quickly. So the Gould family had, yeah, like like I said, uh, relatives over that night. I believe it was a husband and wife, and they also had one or two children there. They had gone to bed by eight that evening, 
and 10 minutes after going to bed, one of the children called out to their father saying, quote, Daddy, there's a man over there. He was trying to touch me. Oh, yeah. There it is. Jesus. That's where the record scratches and you hit the brakes. All the sound effects you need. It's like, I mean, I know know it's 77, but still, it's got to be, there's a man over there. Uh, Yeah, no, it's a coat, Billy. It's fucking coat on the coat. Just stop. (laughs) Just fucking, you're never going to watch Outer Limits again. And then he's trying to touch me. That's when fucking everyone who's a parent should perk up and be like, oh, the fuck he is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as a parent, I can, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's when you, you get your laser focus. Onic fucking <laughs> acceptable. Like, what the fuck? One parts oh, per billion. Fucking, that's fucking creepy. Holy shit. The frightened child claimed that a white figure was standing at the foot of his bed. The father naturally dismissed it and told the boy to go back to sleep. No oh, boy. God damn it. As the father left the room, he heard a knocking sound in the next bedroom over, which was empty at the time. Oh, Jesus. He walked into the room and again heard a knocking sound clearly coming from the window. No. With no fear, the man walked to the window, pulled back the curtain, and was greeted with the terrifying sight of a hooded figure on the roof. Oh, jeez, oh, Louise. Fuck. Come on. Jesus. Come on now. <laughs> So this is where you, I know I go for firearms a lot. I know, I know I do it and I shouldn't. At this point, this you know is what? the time to do it. I fully agree with Mark's protocol of kill first, inspect <laughs> ask, later. Ask questions later. <laughs> so the strange being wore all white, including a hood that had two eye holes on it. <laughs> and the being just stood there and stared at the man. I mean, do you assume it's a Klansman? Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, it just, it's what it sounds like. It wasn't a pointy uh, hood. It it was more kind of squarish when you look at it. Could it have been concealing one of the previously mentioned squarish helmets? It could very well possibly be. That's uh, that's a possibility. So it's a clever disguise, maybe? (laughs) It is. It is a very clever disguise. Is this like in Halloween when Michael Myers puts the sheet over himself with the guy's glasses? He's like, no one's going to know it's me. (laughs) Like, motherfucker, you're like six feet, five inches. Like, yeah, you know, come on. All right. You stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, Um, you're not my boyfriend. Yeah. (laughs) You are not my boyfriend. Yeah, no. Fuck that guy. He, he immediately dropped the curtain and ran outside to confront this individual. Uh, nice. This particular evening was windy. The porch door banged off its casing. When he looked up at the roof, the man was gone. But as he turned to come back in, he saw the odd figure standing just outside the door. Oh, no. And then it disappeared. Oh, God damn it. Can we just stop for one second to talk about how visually stimulating this is? Mm-hmm. It's a windy yeah. night. It's dark. Yeah. Extra families there. Like, if you were a proper filmmaker doing a good reenactment of this moment, it is going to rivet you. Like, fuck a fire in the sky. It did the best it could, and it lied a whole lot. So double fuck fire in the sky from way back in the 90s. Um, not that I didn't enjoy the film when it happened, but stay true to Travis's account. Mm. But that having been said... Just this moment, as true as it is, is so cinematically effective and yet evidently happened that if you just did it justice, 
how scarred if it was done in a good reenactment from um people of our age group with robert stack's unsolved mysteries it would have scarred a generation mm-hmm. yeah totally i f- completely fucking agree man and the interesting thing here is that the family seems to be apathetic most of the time when it comes to this stuff like i said they did call the cops a few times but it's just like oh there's somebody on my property i've got to go deal with this i'm like they're, they never talk about bringing a weapon with them to confront this person. They never is, talk about... Yeah, it's, it's, it's just It's so weird. bizarre. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, not that every time there's a stranger on my property, I rush them with a weapon, but, I mean, it could happen. I are you saying... Ru- are you trying to clear your name right now, Mark? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to rule yeah. it out, but... Are you, like, backpaging some shit you already did? Yeah, no. Um, my ring cameras, thankfully, alert me when people are on my property. But, I mean, no one's li- no one's ever in my yard. Like, it's my cat or my kids or the neighbors or, you know, whatever. I, th- th- there's no weird white hooded figures, like, fucking hanging out near my pool. And then I go back there, I'm like, the fuck? And they disappear. The key to me is less about these nefarious hooded figures, which are disturbing. It is the vanishing in plain sight. That mm, demands yeah, the reassessment. It, yep. You can have prowlers. You can have people in costume on your property, and that should surely disturb you. But when they vanish before your very eyes multiple times, that's when you have to start really questioning not only the nature of reality, but your security protocols, how how long you want to stay here, and what you're going to do to maybe try to stop things that are capable of this before they wreak any havoc or harm anyone you love. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's apparently two reactions that you can have. You could be completely apathetic or you're Mark over here and you're fucking Roman Reigns and you're <laughs> taking care of your fucking yard. True. You're right. I'm Listen, I'm not saying that I'm outside covering myself in mud, setting up traps as if I am Arnold hunting in the a predator. predator. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying I'm doing that. I might be doing that. I'm just saying. Okay. So, but look, man, you know, I'm these beings come on uh, come on to your property i mean it is kind of weird though that they just don't seem to care like if i at any point in time saw something anywhere in the world that all of a sudden just disappeared I, it would i'd be like that's, that's a problem i have to address that now mm-hmm. it's like a that's not how shit problems. works yeah it's a yeah. huge problem so yeah. yeah all right well shit I think, uh, yeah, we're definitely getting a look into the mind of Mark Storrs uh, <laughs> oh, as, as his property is besieged <laughs> yeah. by a series of humanoids. And he's just covered in mud, shirtless, drunk, <laughs> just waiting, like, come and get me. What are you going to do? <laughs> Mark Assuming is shirtless that he's... and drunk and well-armed <laughs> while I'm calling, like, every university nearby going, all right. I get, and the quantum world shit is weird. We live in the Newtonian <laughs> world. If shit disappears randomly, what do I need to be concerned with? And fucking don't tell me I'm wrong. Just do the fucking math. And so then while Chris- he's mud deep, balls deep in mud and fucking whiskey, I'm going to be like making the calls going, seriously, the shit's happening. What are we going to do? That's why we make a good team. As yeah. I'm throwing beers at my neighbors and Chris rolls his eyes and speeds away on his electronic bike. <laughs> And my children look at me disappointingly and as my wife cries. God damn. God damn. Now you're just Mr. Neary in in Close Encounters. It's hitting too close to Spielbergian home. Exactly. Exactly. But a hooded figure disappearing after you saw him on the roof and you see him in plain fucking sight and gone. 
Yep. This is where we're at with said uncle or whoever it was. The next day, uh, it was uh, kind of a mostly cloudy day. It had snowed in Boston, but the weather was relatively clear. Tom was working on the homestead that day, and at 2.30 that afternoon, he was chopping wood in an area to the north of the Gould homestead. And the north, in particular, on that property seems to house a lot of this activity. When he was chopping wood, he noticed a figure donned in white, pretty much the same person from the day before, on a path in the woods about 90 feet away. It was about four and a half feet tall, wearing a squarish helmet with two eye holes. This was a broad figure. Its shoulders were large and wide, and it looked to be wearing mitten-like gloves. So just to say this, because the dad was there following his teenage son's car-burning experiment, he almost touched the first one. So is he... Is it? Am I assuming right by saying he's indicating this is a different version of the same outfit because of its broadness? Because he almost mm-hmm. touched the shoulder of the other one. Is that a safe assumption, do you think, Rob? Yeah, I think so. I okay. definitely think so. I oh. think it's just, you know, from one witness to another, just how they interpret it. That are, That's also valid. Tom noted that he had the vague perception of another figure near this one, but... He couldn't completely recall it. So, like, this this is fucking weird. You see one guy, and you kind of think there was another guy, but you can't remember. Yeah, yeah weird. That's a yeah. lot different than he was obscured by trees, or I couldn't quite right. make that second dude out. That second dude that I can't quite remember is definitely a fucking alarm bell. That's, yeah, yeah, that's totally. That's like missing time. That's like any number of things to make you go, I know maybe hypnotism is shady, but I got to do something to figure this out. Yeah, yeah. really. Tom called out to the being, and he got no response, and then he tried calling to the being in French, but again, he got no response. He did say that the the being kind of, like, wavered a little bit, but that's the most movement he got from the thing. Hmm. It just stood there and stared at him while he chopped wood. So I guess the question I have for you, gentlemen, at what point do you yell at this motherfucker to get over here, grab an axe, and help out? That's fair. (laughs) Like, at what point? This is a goddamn homestead. When are yeah. you going to do some chores? You can you can <laughs> I mean, hang out with your hoods as long as they're non-pointy wood hoods. We're cool with it. You're just concealing your boxy ass heads. Do what you got to do. But guess what? There's shit that needs to be milked and farmed and fucking hedged. Help out. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, pull your weight. There you go. Yeah, I mean, and, and he had, so this being's just standing there while he's axing, he, he's he's chopping wood, so he has an axe in his hand. So he's not making any hostile moves towards it. No. And it's not making anything towards him, it's just there. It's so in all fairness, a hatchet-wielding human, and we are the most violent primate, period, um, he is a little intimidating. Like, I'm not yeah. going to, like, disparage, you know, boxhead white suit for not running over and being like, dude! hatchet hand <laughs> fucking mayhem <laughs> like i don't blame it for not running over right but yeah. i mean he he has a weapon in his hand um mm-hmm. obviously he's using it as, as a tool um but he's not engaging it he's just like all right i'm here chopping the wood that thing's right there and let's just live our life like whew, that's a basically we're getting mark in survival mode right now <laughs> yeah no i can see i we can hear in the tones of his voice him priming himself <laughs> For a confrontation. Exactly. Tom remarked to David Webb at this point when he was talking about a story that 
he thought he had seen beings like this previously like before this the only people to have seen it uh was the the one relative that was over and one of his kids but he's just like i think i have seen these but i'm not too sure so right um, you know that, that no fuck that when he was done tom got into his pickup truck and he drove it a short ways down the road and by that time, the figure was gone, but he noticed what looked to be a large boulder that had never been on his property before. Oh, that's an eye catcher. Yeah, it was covered by the trees, and upon closer inspection, it took the form of an egg-shaped object with windows that ran around the entirety of the object. That is They reminded boulder. him of frog's eyes. Oh, oh that's a really definitely... cute image. Mm-hmm. Like half out, half lidded in my mind, yeah. like it, Weird. like sticking out, but with like a maybe a like some sort of canopy over them. Though I don't know if that's the case. His daughter later remarked that the windows kind of jutted out from the craft slightly. So it yeah, is. it's definitely lends credence to that. Um, further, kind of attesting to the fact that it's not an actual boulder. Its surface was a dull gray color, but rough, much like bricks it measured some 40 feet long by 13 and a half feet wide all right rob geez louise uh you know a boulder can be a lot of different things it's like weight it's certainly that you got like stone rock boulder and that's always an exponential jump and you know i've been lucky enough to play in playgrounds as a kid that had random boulders but the 40 foot fucking long by Mm 13.5 hey let's round it up to 14 let's let's be daring in this expedition (laughs) fucking that is something that does not miraculously appear on your property or anyone yeah, else's. No. For, 40 foot by 14 is ridiculous. Like, yeah. you're, you're going to notice that. The interesting thing is, is like, these incidents are not what lead them to contact Ray Fowler, who was the initial investigator on this case. It was stuff later on down the line. So they're oh just, you know. So it, the miraculous it, it, 40 by 14 foot boulder <laughs> that had yeah. frog eyes. Is yep. not the fucking thing that makes you call for help, as opposed to the disappearing semi clansmen and fucking whatever else you're dealing with, the box headed weirdos that like to watch you chop wood for whatever reason. None of that warrants any consideration. No, none of none of it. Wow. All right. I mean, they uh, they're patient, I guess. They're understanding people. I guess. <laughs> you, I I don't know. Like, again, there is this level of apathy in some UFO incidents that goes above and beyond the normal reaction in what should be a situation like that. So which makes you consider not again to interrupt as I always do, which makes you consider whether or not there is a a placating effect that could either be uh, well, it would be paranormal by our standards, but something sonic, something medical, something that we can't even fathom, you know, with our technology that is making people react in a substandard way, at least by our perceptions to the extreme events. It always makes me wonder, uh, surely I'm worried about the eyewitnesses first and foremost. And when you have a chance to interview them firsthand, maybe you can make your own assessment. But when something is, is dated like this account, it always makes me wonder whether or not that this is not their natural reaction. Like when things are so extreme and they finally do something, you're like, Oh, okay. You're doing something, but it's not their fault that they're not reacting earlier because 
you know, in so many abduction events, they, they get this soothing telepathic voice that says, we're not going to hurt you. And they're paralyzed. Well, maybe it's a less extreme version of that where the, the normal panic and concern that you would have is mitigated somehow by maybe technology. We don't fully have a grasp of. Hmm. Right. I mean, they have beings that just walk over to you and like change your mood in an instant. Like, Oh, you're experiencing pain. Not anymore. Bam. Wave my hand over your face. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Anesthetic aliens. (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, it's typical gray shit, but we're talking about 1978 when these stories don't really come out. I mean, I think we're, I'm trying to remember when the Andreessen affair came out. I can't remember if it's, 78 or 79 or 77 but still these stories are not popular oh no not not... commonplace at all at this point no these people aren't riffing on rhythms that have already been you know played on the paranormal radio for lack of a better reference they are dealing with something that they're dealing with i just can't help but to wonder if they have some sort of panic mitigating device because i want to think in terms of technology medicine and or psychic vibration because who the fuck knows how they work that somehow makes you not react as dramatically as you would because boy wouldn't that be a great way to stay concealed in a society you don't necessarily want to come out full front and center on yeah exactly i mean the aliens seem to have it you know figured out they know how to mitigate moods they know how to interact with people at the right time so that nobody else sees them you know they they've pretty much got it on fucking lock i mean it's kind of amazing that throughout that whole stretch of road that betty and barney hill were driving they didn't see another car pass them yeah very very fucking weird so yeah we get we've got that element of high strangeness that is happening in these cases and uh this case is uh definitely no different so Tom feared to actually get too close to this thing. He would like approach it to within like about five feet, but he drove back to the house. He told his family about it and his family laughed at him. They didn't believe him. They just thought it was a joke. Weird shit's happening on your property, but no, it isn't. It's all a joke, Mm. but I mean, it's there. Go, go get him to it. You know, like, here we go. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, exactly. So, On January 11th, the next day, Tom again was cutting wood at the northern end of his property when he noticed that the object was still there. Oh, God bless him, because it's so rarely still fucking there. Mm -hmm. This time, he took his firstborn, Alan, and Nancy, his daughter, to the site. It was around sunset when they approached the object. Tom wouldn't allow his kids to get closer than about... 50 feet from it he was playing it uber safe but he's a good dad even though they're adult kids he's like he loves his kids and fuck off step back because just in case i i totally respect tom for that they could discern you know not a lot of detail just due to the time of the day that they were seeing it sun was going down there was a little bit of snow on the ground and oh it's blinding yeah yeah To them, it looked like a large boulder, even though Nancy was able to make out a number of windows along the strange object. 
again, I know they don't want to get too close to the fucking thing, but is there any other type of reaction that you're going to have? Oh, there's just weird fucking UFO just sitting on our property. Let's not <laughs> no, do a fucking true. thing about it. <laughs> but but then you got to wonder, is this like dragnet reporting? And I know that's a reference that's positively yeah. ancient, but the idea of just the facts, ma'am, like, and then they got within 50 feet. Uh, Nancy saw some things that looked like frog-like windows. Maybe Alan didn't. And, but it's like, but it's like, yeah, why don't you just grab every perception everyone had? Because guess what? 40 foot by 14 foot boulders don't fucking appear on your property and ancillary to that. They don't have fucking windows. This isn't no. the Flintstones house. It's no. fucking something <laughs> anomalous. So even if your dad won't let you get within 50 feet and you respect him, that's totally dope on my part. Fucking assess the impressions they had, not just what they saw. We all know that we haven't had Flintstones uh, type UFOs since 1896. So, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not how they operate. That's how they exactly. work. Yeah, it's, it's science. Yeah, I mean, like uh, early on, you had people talking about how they saw what looked like two guys below one of those fucking mystery airships. And oh, they looked my God. To be, peddling something like they were on a fucking bike so <laughs> it's true it's absolutely true it was all like wacky racist technology back then it was all yeah. like fundamentally beat shit technology that they were incorporating into flying vehicles part of it i think is crazy scientists that went fucking too far ahead of their time and probably died for it part of me to me is shit disguising itself in the context of an era so that you don't question it more than usual was it blimp? What was it like? A what was it blimp technology, Rob? Uh, kind of. Yeah, they they called them mystery airships. So yes, they did. I love um, it. You had yeah, they they kind of looked like blimps by and large, but like they were so fucking strange because they had like propellers on them. And oh, it sounds so cool uh, though. Everybody. And they yeah. were like old fucking wooden ships with like you say pr- yeah. thirteen propellers and yeah. a big balloon and yep and just. I mean, reasonable, I guess, for Jules Verne to concoct at the time, but unreasonable to have it traversing the skies of the American Midwest at the time. Well, I think what's interesting is if uh, you take it from era to era. So, you know, you had the 1896, 1897 mystery airship stuff, and it seemed to represent like technology that was on the cusp. It was like right around the corner. And yet totally. Nobody came forward to acknowledge it. There were no inventors that came forward, but a lot of people just said, well, it just seemed like, you know, some American inventor had probably figured out how to fucking fly and shit like that. Um, Those kind of sightings continued on off and on until like there was a big wave of sightings in New York in 1909 and Mm -hmm. a few other places. What's interesting and what a lot of people don't know is that in the 1930s, a lot of people reported weird fucking airplanes flying in weather that they shouldn't be able to fly in and right. shit like that. There's a great, I think it's like a four-part article in Flying Saucer Review by John Keel talking about all these mystery airplane sightings of the 1930s, which is something that we're going to cover at some point. It's, it's a fascinating thing, but I don't think a lot of people realize that. And then you get to 1947, and this shit is just beyond anything that we have. It's beyond anything that I, I think we could even comprehend at the time. They're fucking 
not very aerodynamic looking. Right. There's no fucking way that crescent moon or like yeah. like three cut you know things that happen to be skipping like saucers, of course, accredited with uh, you know being flying saucers based on it, which is interesting because then that became the most reported thing, which. I guess that lends some credence to the Valian idea of how you perceive it as opposed to what it is. But, but to me, it's like what, what's, what's most neglected in embracing the 1947 uh, year in the Kenneth Arnold sighting as being the premier one for the modern UFO sighting is that should be acknowledged as a pop cultural benchmark in that that's when the media reported on it. That's when a reporter gave the name flying saucers. That's when shit started hitting the fan in terms of public perception. But that absolutely was not the beginning in terms of actual eyewitness accounts of anomalous, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, objects in the sky, things that seem to be intelligently controlled and did it. And to me that, the thing, the thing that I resent about 1947 is that it becomes an unofficial uh, start point for 20th century ufology, when in reality, it needs to be much more integrated. Yeah, that's completely fair. And I mean, the first person to describe seeing something that resembled a saucer was in 1878. So, you know, it, it, it's a descriptor that's been around. It just didn't become popular until that point. And I mean... I'm sure that there are probably a scattering of uh, other sightings of things being seen that are kind of like that. So, yeah, I completely agree with you there that it you kind of have to look at the entire thing as a whole. as not just like a starting point from 1947 onwards. 100%. As as pivotal as it is and as much as it needs to be acknowledged in terms of um, the rest of society, especially United States society, paying attention to it, and it should be um, chronicled as such. It is absolutely not the beginning of the UFO and or extraterrestrial or interdimensional phenomenon. The the final incident in this this short string here from January 9th to the 12th uh, occurred at 10 a.m. that morning. Now, Alan, the one that didn't see the windows on this craft, was in the bathroom when he noticed a, quote, smooth, dull, steel gray or silver surface rise 100 feet into the air. It rose from the spot where it, they had seen the boulder the day before and appeared to resemble two discs pressed together. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Alan was able to note that there were four legs that jutted out of the bottom of the craft. Later, he would examine the landing site and found four holes four and a half inches deep and approximately six inches wide. When investigators would examine the site months later, only one of those holes was still present, but it was pretty obvious that, you know, it, it they were the dimensions that he mentioned. Well, months later, it's yeah, yeah lucky it survived at all. Yeah, which is, you know, it isn't saying much, but still, it's, it's interesting. It's um, worth noting, definitely. Mm-hmm. Now... The family had had uh, a UFO sighting a few years earlier, which is uh, interesting. They were on vacation in Coleman State Park in Colebrook, New Hampshire. And um, this was in 1974. All five members of the family claimed to see an enormous object hovering in the sky. They called it a mothership, and its lights changed from white to red. So in the telling of the story, it, it becomes clearer and clearer that like family members have had 
fucking incidents going back and like maybe this is a family thing we're again into the beginning of the abduction kind of shit because there wasn't a lot of abduction stories that came forward between 1957 when vs boas kind of kicked it off and yeah, yeah. you know it, it, it wasn't until like 61 or 62 when his stories started to get out there i mean Jal Martins didn't even want to fucking publish it in the magazine that he wrote for because it just seemed so fucking incredible. A guy went on a fucking UFO and banged a alien. You yeah. know, I mean, it, it just sounds so goddamn far fetched. But between 1957 and like, say, 1980, 1981, there really aren't a lot of big name abduction accounts no you're Uh, right there's that really serious line between the contactee movement mm -hmm. which absolutely included abductions and the abduction movement which uh, you know was obviously betty and barney hill and and then that you know it, it still didn't one of the things that makes me think that when people are like oh it's you only imitate what you see i'm not saying that there's no psychological factors that make you say i saw you know a hundred documentaries and i'm integrating it into my own personal whatever but the fact is that it did not inspire the betty and barney hill case a lot of copycats immediately at all it implies that they were maybe on the cusp of people reporting a genuine phenomenon and i find Mm -hmm. that really intriguing you know when when skeptics love to just throw out there oh people know about it ergo they integrate it into their fantasy slash lies it's like yeah well why wasn't that all over the place between basically betty and barney hill and streber yeah that's completely fair and i think a lot of it has to do with just probably reluctance i don't i don't think a lot of people wanted to report shit like that and it wasn't until you know Streber. I think Streber enca- uh, empowered a lot of people to just come forward with their stories. I, no, and, I agree completely. And, yeah. and and what I think it does is it negates the idea that they're pop culture copycats. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I don't think that there it's something shady that happened in that intermittent, you know, decade and a half or whatever. I think it's something that, and you're like, say, there's lots of reason not to come forward. We talk about it all the time the mitigating forces that work against you coming forward with something bizarre that happened to you, because there's a lot of social stigma and job interference and all things that come with it. And not a lot of, you know, um, not, not just adulation, but like support from the public. So what I'm saying is that um, if it was a completely fictitious scenario, there would have been a lot more copycats that just said, oh, I, I did it too. They got famous. They wrote a book. And that didn't happen. And that, to me, is really indicative of the veracity of it all. Yeah, that's that's completely fair. You would think that in, in this case, seeing the craft depart, it would bring some form of closure with it. Well, not in this case. On two separate occasions in February of 1978, Poltergeist-like activity began occurring in the home. They largely revolved around doors, but what made this type of activity unique is that it occurred at two separate locations. The Goulds and uh, the Campbells, which were nearby neighbors, and I think they were family too, but it's not exactly made clear in the article. But at the Campbell residence, locks on doors were being unlocked and 
doors were being found wide open. In one case, a lock was found broken. Huh. And the uh, the Campbells had taken knives and put them in the door jams to prevent the doors from opening. And one night, while the family was gathered together, the family heard the knives being dislodged from the jam and the door had flown open. I mean, maybe not, like, don't choose knives. Like, don't choose weapons to stop the doors. Like, I don't know. Use oh, really? Mr. Weapon else. is uh, saying not, don't <laughs> use weapons. Well, yeah, but you're giving your weapons to somebody else to use against you. Like, use something other than a knife or if someone is coming in your house, you're like, oh, hey, look, I have a weapon. Yeah, but in those cases, there aren't a lot of them in which with poltergeist like activity in which people get harmed. The only thing, the only one that I can think of uh, off the top of my head is like the San Pedro haunting. And that's uh, the case in which uh, I'm sure you guys have seen it circulating on the internet and stuff like that. Have you ever um, seen a photo of a guy he's in the attic and he has this rope tied around his neck? Always. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's that's from the San Pedro haunting. It was a a poltergeist that allegedly... Wasn't that one of the inspirations for the movie The Entity? It, yeah, I do believe so. Right on. Uh, yeah. It's, a, it's it, a story I'm going to be covering down the line. I oh, bought cool. like, both of the books that were written about that case, and uh, already I can say fuck it, but I don't like it. Period. Yeah. Oh no, it's icky. It's, it's icky, it's McIcky, Bobicky. There, I said it. I yeah, didn't mean yep. to use that kind of language on your pod, but I You're had fine. to say it. It yeah. is horrible. Yeah. I mean, you you uh, you held back there a little bit, so I respect that. <laughs> right, exactly. Thank you, you know, in Thank you, Bobby. Thank you. You're welcome. There was another uh, relative in, uh, I believe, the Gould household that heard a sound that resembled a beehive. Oh God damn it! Oh, mm-hmm. Jesus. But the. Um, Activity escalated again on the weekend of April 8th and April 9th. On the evening of April 8th, Nancy was sitting on her bed spinning some vinyl and sewing when she uh, noticed a silhouetted form that appeared at her door. Her door was mostly closed. It was like open by about an inch or two. Mm-hmm. But uh, she could tell that this figure was about average height, about five foot seven. This fucking being is taller than I am, and I'm not happy about it, but whatever. <laughs> and uh, it appeared to be wearing an unzipped jacket. All right. Nancy continued to sew, but when she looked at the door, the figure, you know, a, a little while later, the figure was still fucking there. She quickly rushed to the door to catch the man, but she only caught a fleeting glimpse of him. She searched room after room, but the figure was nowhere to be found. Oh, Jesus huh. Christ. Weird. So, so fucking, well, first off, the question I have to ask Nancy is, when you see a random five foot seven Fonzie at your door, I, I'm, I'm saying that because jacket open, you know, fucking Fonzie yeah. pops in my mind. Fucking, why are you, why are you going back to sewing? What about fucking this dude standing there makes you go, hey, listen, I'm listening to records. I got to sew. Fuck that dude. I believe in the report it made mention of the fact that she thought it was her father playing a trick on her. But even still, like, I think there are better tricks to play than that. (laughs) Than randomly leaning on a door jam outside. (laughs) Yeah. Like, hey, hey, Nancy, you sew it. I'm terrifying (laughs) you with my lean and my slightly open jacket. Said the accent her dad never had. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
Hey, hey Boston, Nancy, Rob. are you terrified or what? Yeah, I know. I nailed my Boston. I fucking yeah, owned it. <laughs> Everyone Sounds in Boston more New Yorkish. What? Yeah, really? No, yeah. stop. There's no implied bias. The fact that I'm a New Yorker and a Yankees fan has nothing to do with the accent I give to Bostonians. Wink. <sighs> wow. Uh, I see. I see what's happening here, and I completely respect that. I'm a Yankees fan too, so there you go. That's, uh, that's perfectly fine. Um, <laughs> everyone's everyone's a Yankees fan. It's okay. Listen, uh, my father taught me you you root for the te- the oldest teams in the state that you live in. So that makes naturally, sense. I have to root for the Yankees. I have to root for the fuck sucking Knicks. I've oh. got to root for. <laughs> I've got to root for the Rangers. Oh God bless oh. you. You do too, dude. At that the point. Rangers are the. F- oh, I fucking hate. It. All right. I'm and, not but then again, sports. your other option is the Islanders, so you kind of made out. Yeah, yeah you, you know who your other option is? The New Jersey Devils. Thank you. Oh, and uh, yeah, we uh, we rooted for the Giants in our home, too. So, Well, we're Buffalo Bills country up here, buddy. So, Well, well I mean, you're closer to Buffalo than yeah, I am. So, I, well, I will say this, uh, Mr. Christofferson, uh, my dad was definitely of the same mindset, and we were a Yankees-Giants household. So, Oh, yeah. I got yeah, nothing but was... mad empathy. I know. Well, we had old dads, clearly, so that's how it works. That's right. They, they re- respect, you know what's called? Tradition. Yeah. Don't make exactly. me start singing Fiddler of the Roof outtakes, because I will. <laughs> the pop-up. Oh, God. Oh, fucking A. So, oh, Jesus. the next day brought a greater number of humanoid sightings. Oh, oh God. It started in the late morning. Doug and one of his cousins were riding dirt bikes near the landing site when they caught a glimpse of two large white heads loping away from them slowly into nearby brush. The creatures Hmm. appeared to be crouching. Their faces were light gray with large wraparound dark blue eyes. Oh, my their heads were of average size, and fuck this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fuck that. That's creepy. Holy shit. There is a drawing of the head, and it looks like a fucking gray. Oh, of course oh, it does. Of no. course it does. All right. Not that that's usually noted of average size. They might have noted, known some right. big-headed motherfuckers. But right. that having been said, the wraparound dark blue eyes, mm-hmm. the, the light grayish skin, and they're trying to crouch around. Like... This is what's kind of blowing my mind about this case. It's not like the typical abduction scenario where you can't do anything about it. We're here. We're doing our thing. Deal with it. And we're going to transport you through walls and windows. And we're the masters of time and physics. It is like we're stuck here and we're either super curious about you or we have to like go out and like forage for berries or whatever the fuck they're doing. And we're trying to stay somewhat concealed, except when your dad's chopping wood, at which point... It's completely hot and we need to watch that. And fucking yep. and would and and so it's like it's blowing my mind because of both the consistency with other reports and the absolute incongruities that are displaying itself time and time again. Yeah. Fuck I I, I hate this fucking case. I'm just gonna say it. I fucking <laughs> hate it. I fucking hate it. At two PM that day. Doug, Nancy, Alan, and this cousin all returned to the site where they had seen the figures earlier in the day. They caught vague glimpses of figures in the woods. They would appear and fade away quickly. Of course they would. According to David Webb's report in the pages of Flying Saucer Review, and and I believe he's quoting uh, the cousin that was present, quote, it was in profile to her. 
and about her height, which is five foot three inches. The head had an abnormally large posterior projections and seemed to be encased in a clear round helmet. The helmet could only be observed because of sunlight glinting off of its surface. She also noticed a large, dark oval eye, a nose slit, but no mouth or ears. Mm. No hands or feet could be seen at the extremities of flaring sleeves and pants. A belt with a dark central band, vertical stripes, and black buckle encircled the waist. That is disco as fuck, for the record. Mm, yeah, you just said is. bell bottoms. You didn't yep. say it, but we know what that is. <laughs> yeah. That is yeah, disco era awesome, is what's happening. <laughs> yeah. In a helmet. In a big fucking helmet. Yeah. I. You know, here's the thing. Are we dealing with greys that can normally manifest in, like, psychic projections and do abductions, but when they have, say, car trouble and their 40-foot fucking boulder frog-eyed ship has to land, they have to, like, show up in typical environmental productions? Like, to me, what makes this possibly more significant than many other uh, encounters of a similar type is that this really seems to be indicative of environmental interaction by biological beings of whatever origin that somehow are not able to interact in an easy way with earth. Yeah. You know, uh, if we really want to go down that road, it's possible to quote the, that kid from uh, angels in the outfield. Hey, it could happen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nice nineties reference, my friend. I like that. You know, I got to pull them when I can. After catching a really close up glimpse of one of these things, this cousin jumped up, yelled and pursued the being. Yeah. It retreated Bless. into the woods until it disappeared. Follow it. Hunt it. Yeah. Alan noticed that the area gave off an odor similar to sulfur. So oh, hold on a second. You know what that means? A little bit of the old sulfur or odor. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, no! Say what it means, Mark. Say what it means. The dar- the it could be the devil. It could don't be. Ever, don't ever take him off the table. You can't take him off the table, you uh, can't. especially in this uh, in this case. Uh, that's that's not possible. So Though no. conversely, anything non traditionally Earthican biological might have been interpreted as demonic. Ergo, the natural sulfur scent given off by these beings was reinterpreted as demonic and or diabolical erroneously. Mm. Oh, so the devil's an alien? No, the oh. aliens are unaccepted <laughs> by narrow earth minds, and they fucking give it the mantle of the diabolical, erroneously and unfairly. The devil pilots a UFO. My favorite oh god book. damn it! So all right, yeah, no, it's the devil. Yeah, no, Mark's right. <laughs> Rob, Rob Christopherson, please continue. <laughs> <laughs> Ten days later, the same girl was over at their house and observed the same figure while glancing out the ghoul's basement window. The cousin saw a white face eerily similar to a gray staring back at her. Hmm. It was oval shaped with vertical nose slits and a narrow mouth. The eyes were large, slanted, and gold in color. Oh, that's a nice twist. Yeah. 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 The helmet was not visible during this encounter, but uh, she kind of figured that it was wearing it. Hmm. Doug had another sighting of the white hooded figures on May 2nd. Little detail emerged about this encounter. He did note that the beings held their arms close to their bodies when they ran away. So it's kind of interesting that (laughs) 
their fucking father reported the same goddamn thing or that other guy reported how they were kind of fucking stiff armed and shit like their stories kind of corroborate here and there. It's true. And it makes you wonder, like, are you just really like, do you not run often? Do you run so unoften <laughs> that you think stiff arms is going to enhance your speed? Or no, is, man. is it an impeding suit or something? Like, these guys are fucking running like they're fucking Napoleon Dynamite. Exactly. That's exactly. what I was thinking of. <laughs> yes, you got you to pump. Dude, when you run, and I used to run quite a bit, you got to pump your arms. You got to get in the groove. If you hold your arms towards you, if, if you keep your arms stiff, you have no... You can't balance. Like, I, I don't know. You can't balance. You're just. You're kind of like you're running like Napoleon Dynamite. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You got to pump, man. Yeah, wow. You need right, there's that um, forward momentum to keep. Yeah. They going. suck at running, or they're impeded. That's the only two options. They don't yeah, know true, better true. because it's their first. Well, maybe some of their first time on Earth, and they're just not accustomed to functioning in our gravity, or uh, yeah, something in their suits impedes it. Yeah. All right. There it is. That's fair. Whatever this experience is, and it kind of has ties into uh, abduction type shit, I'm not really down with. So Nancy had an experience in her bedroom in mid-July. While she was in bed reading, she caught sight of a silver rod being reflected in her mirror. It was suspended in the air, horizontally, motionless, mere inches from her head. She turned her head to look at it, but found nothing. And when she turned to the mirror... Again, it was gone. Oh, God. So a teeny tiny in your room grooming UFO sighting. Is that what we're being asked to accept? I think this is kind of like a gray wand of some kind. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because it's it's described as a silver rod. Yeah. So, huh. Weird. That's interesting. It's, it's, It's bizarre. But then again... Mirrors are fucking weird, and they capture light from all sorts of different sources. Yeah. Like, I have looked in a mirror twice more often than I can even count. But like, what the? Oh, yeah, no, it's my ear. It's my ear. It's not a gremlin on the side of my head. It's my fucking ear. Oh, it's a mirror. Mirrors are weird. It's not the perspective of them. Not all the time. If everyone thinks every time I brush my teeth, I see gremlins on the side of my heads, I apologize. That's not what happens. But occasionally with a mirror, when you're poking it at angles and trying to do your bangs, you see weird captures of light. All right. So while Rob is, uh, I don't know, fixing Dealing his with bangs. his head gremlins. Let's own it. <laughs> when he's fixing his bangs that he hasn't uh. had since 1994. <laughs> no, I've never had bangs record uh yeah he has he's got mine gremlins but it, it's okay it's, yeah, it's yeah. all right all right, yeah, right that's, that's fine enough. yeah, we'll, um, leave, yeah. We'll, leave, we'll leave that alone yeah <laughs> i'm just saying mirrors uh, are unreliable that's all I'm yeah saying. do we we're, we all agree man we're all friends here it's okay it's just, it, we're we're safe i feel like you're condescending to me a little I feel like has, trying, have the mirrors hurt you okay have the yes, mirrors hurt have. you oh my there have God. been times in my life where mirrors have given me what we call in the biz an existential crisis that's not the point Rob. <laughs> all right you judging me for my you know idiosyncrasies and or fucking um bizarre exploits in other dimensions is not conducive to this conversation so let's continue <laughs> okay the final incident <laughs> that we know of because like this story doesn't really extend beyond um, uh, this article and maybe a couple other mentions in a couple other books and stuff but 
Alan was the only member of the household to see this, but when he looked out the window one night in September, he noticed six figures standing beside the road in front of their house. At hmm. first, he assumed there had been an auto accident until he noticed their clothing. Five of the figures wore white suits, and the other, who was uh, pointing down the road, wore black. Oh, oh boy. Their clothing reflected the light from the nearby street lamps. It's unclear what happened after that. I think he just, like, I, he did go outside briefly for a second to see them, and they were fucking there. And a short while later, they were not. They were gone. So, oh, man. Huh. So it wasn't just something from a window. He went outside, looked. Yeah. And yet, as frustrating it is, as it is uh, for podcasters and investigators decades after the fact, uh, he did the one sage thing you can do. Fuck it. I got TV to watch. I don't have time for this shit. You yeah. do your weird shit in the road with your reflective intergalactic whatevers. I'm going to go back in because, you know, guess what? There's a Samford and Son on and I don't need to fucking be here right now. No. As much as I loathe yeah. it from this point of view, I respect it from a context point of view. Yeah, completely. That's the end of this family's ordeal as far as we know. I kind of wish that somebody had kept up with them over the years to see if anything else happened. Did yeah. they stay there? I mean, fucking Tom built that house, so why the fuck would they leave? But Yeah, true. Um, I mean, you own it out clear. I yeah. mean, unless you don't own the property, but still. No, I agree. I mean, well, you know, but there's still the hope. I mean, 77's a long time ago, but there's still the hope that young Doug and others might have recollections if they could be... Uh, picked and if he'd be willing to talk about it and i can understand why he wouldn't be and others nancy and whoever else might still be around but i know what you're saying when when it, when a trail runs cold uh in terms of research it is um and i know you can identify with this rob one of the most devastating things that happens to mm -hmm. to a researcher because you're like i need more i want more i need context i need i need that interview in 84 i need that interview in 87 that that adds something or detracts something or does whatever and when that doesn't happen you're like oh oh but but as as i say that with judgment for my investigators from that era i'm not out there actively pursuing everything that's happening right now too and in the future someone's going to say rob morphy you son of a bitch you had the option to talk to these people. It was fucking 2020. You were right there. And I'm totally oblivious. So so I can appreciate it. But there's part of me that can't help but to be utterly frustrated by the lack of follow-up. Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly agree. And maybe it's a situation where the family just said, fuck it. We don't want to keep going on with this shit. It's out of our lives. We're fine now. Let's just let it be. And, you know, maybe that's the case. David Webb and Ray Fowler noted that the family seemed to be sincere in the telling of events, but a lot of them did revolve around one family member, and that was Alan. But the thing is, is like there are so many fucking incidents here involving so many of the fucking family and family that didn't even live there and so much fucking shit that eh, there's just just a lot of fucking shit. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's yeah. Doug's experiences. There's Tom's experience. There's the unnamed uncle and nephew's experience. So it does not, 
uh, begin and end with Alan at all. To me, this yeah. is, and, and not to mention grandmother early on, it is a theater wide in terms of at least the biological connections and in some ways the geographical connections because the cattle mutilation, like you said earlier, only happened, uh, you know, about a mile or half a mile away from the actual, you know, ranch area. So it's condensed by biology and geography and it is not solely dependent on one child at all, which to me adds a lot of veracity to what's going on because again, there is no real advantage to coming out with this. There's no, I mean, these people didn't write a best-selling book. It wasn't like the Lutzes, which you can, I'll save that discussion for another time, which you may think is dubious or you may think is sincere. It is a, a family that goes through this and all you have to gain in the short term ever when you report this stuff, and I hate to say it out loud because I want people to keep reporting the anomalous things that happen to them, is fucking the potential for ridicule, derision, and social ostracization from your peers. And it is a dead shame. And that really makes me take these accounts a lot more seriously because when you weigh what has to be gained as opposed to what could very easily be lost, it doesn't make sense to make shit up like this because Mm -hmm. you really stand to have a lot more detrimental uh, aspects than positive. Oh yeah. Like I assume South Middleton is not a very big town and I can only imagine like the reputation this family would gain if they, were in that kind of situation to that they wanted to profit off this and, and whatever. And like, I would say that every other UFO investigator, researcher, writer that has featured the case has made more money than this family has on it. The only book that comes to mind is uh, Richard Hall's The UFO Evidence in the second volume that uh, story appears in it. Um, so a small segment in a second mm-hmm. volume. Yep. That's not pretty what much legend it. makes at all. Right. Right. Yeah, no, no. And, and I that get book it. is f- fucking expensive. I bought a copy of it. It cost me like uh, one hundred and fifteen dollars. Holy shit! You. Oh, you're yeah. deep. Did yep. you get the first edition signed? Like, holy fuck! No, I. Um, it was. I just wanted to see if there was like anything else in it because I saw oh. it. Uh, <clears throat> Google Books had. Uh, kind of like a an excerpt, but it didn't give the entire case huh. in it. But uh, speaking of which, have you ever tried to like con Google Books and write like the next word in hopes that you would get an extension? Yeah, Dude, I have played the Google Books game <laughs> so often. I call it Google Books Roulette. Like you're gonna tell me that one little piece I need, baby. Give it, give it up, give it up. Bam, whammies. It's always yep. whammies. Wow. Google Books oh, is yeah. fucking whammies. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess what's what I'm finding kind of weird about all these encounters that this family had is that it's almost like they're just observing. They're just making an observation of these beings being there. Like yeah. the beings aren't really doing anything. I mean, obviously there was a poltergeist with the, you know, the knives in the in, in the door that happened to the Campbell family down the road or whatever after the 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 ship took off. But for the most part, I guess what I'm kind of stuck on is that like these things just kind of show up and they don't mm-hmm. really do much. They're just there almost right. like they're observing, but at the same time, they're not really interacting. Right. And you talk about like, again, the Coombs family who had like all of this shit happen to them on their fucking farm in England. 
around like I, it's just right before the family started to experience this stuff, this stuff, or maybe about the same time. And it definitely gave off the vibe that they were being observed. Like they, like this was some kind of grand psychological fucking experiment. And it kind of seems like that may be the case here too. So these two cases are so fucking similar in just a lot of ways. And it's like, what kind of government experiment is this or what type of alien experiment is this? You know, you have to, you have to consider both options, Yeah, but I would say um, conversely, you can't judge by reporting what -hmm. the family's reaction were like, say unnamed uncle, when he saw, you know, the hooded figure on the roof and then it was behind him, he might've been panic stricken. He might've lost his shit. He might've quit smoking because he thought maybe somebody laced his cigarettes. You don't know the dramatic, um, emotional and psychological effects that might've been had on a family if they go unreported. And the thing is, is like, like I said earlier, this really seems like a by the facts reporting. Now Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that like Tom who's cunning wood and sees, you know, buff ass white clad box headed dude in the woods staring at him isn't affected by it. It just means the effect it had on him wasn't recorded because the ufologist or the investigator of the time was doing their damnedest to be like, here's the facts in the case. I am not going to corrupt it with perceptions because somehow this will taint it later. So I, I want to say in my opinion is for the, for the record that there could have been a lot of emotional investment and a lot of distress and a lot of trauma that might not have gone reflected in the official report. Yeah, that's that's completely fair. And I think you find a lot of that in early reporting. It's it, it just seems like a lot of investigators didn't give as much a shit about the witness as they should have. And they didn't find value in seeing how someone felt at the time of their sighting or, you know, what thoughts were going through their head or as if it would somehow diminish the facts and i i almost get it i'm almost empathetic with them they're doing their best to lend credence to what is uh an unfathomable phenomenon but by doing that by doing their best in the moment in the time they're living in to lend credence to the reality of something by neglecting to note the emotional and psychological effect it has on the eyewitnesses, you have really deprived generations thereafter of investigators from being able to assess it from a broader spectrum. You're not going to have a completely objective report on your hands at that point. You're just... Like, it feels at that point like a fucking police report. And it does. Yeah. yeah. And, and UFO incidents are, are more than that because things have different motivations. But if you can't fully discern the human motivation in the in the moment that things are happening, there is fucking incredible value in that. And it's kind of sad that it took fucking... Over 60 years. It wasn't until fucking really Ryan Sprague wrote a book about how UFO sightings affected human beings that mm-hmm. anybody really bothered to give a shit about it. Shout out to Ryan. Definitely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So like, I think we're never going to get that objective UFO report because not a lot of people are fucking doing that kind of work. MUFON doesn't give a shit about 
how a person feels. They care about uh, themselves mostly, but you know, right, right. Right. The, the, you know, you know what I would say the key is in, 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 in future investigations is obviously we need to do it in a procedural way in the sense that it is the facts. It is what mm-hmm. was observed it is concrete. But to add ancillarily the uh, you just the impact it has on the people, because the reports that are be, being written his, for history about these paranormal and ufological and cryptozoological events are not meant to be put in a court of law and what will be effective in front of a judge and won't, won't be that standard shouldn't be worried about being met. I mean, if you want, yes, present all the facts as they are, but then add, like I say, as an addendum, mm-hmm. if nothing else, how it emotionally and psychologically impacted the people, because that is absolutely as significant as everything else that's going on, how traumatic, how, how, how much it might've, you know, I mean, when you'd go to the, the, the Avali uh, abduction, you know, these people all became like vegetarians and open-minded mm-hmm. and that's an extraordinary case. And, yeah. and you're like this, this to me is as, as significant as, and compelling as, as, as establishing its veracity as just the simple facts of what they saw. Yeah. yeah. And uh, honestly, I think it took alien abduction researchers to drill down on that a little bit and present the idea that, you know, this, here, here. this has a clear traumatic effect on people. It has effects on it that go into the realms of psychology. So. All right, we're, we're at the end of this thing. What do you what do you each think this is? What are your what is your opinion? Mark, what do you think happened here? Uh, you know, I'm just going to go that they, uh, for, like I said earlier, they just kind of show up and they just observe. They don't mm-hmm. really interact. They're there. They obviously have little interaction with these people, but there's there's there. The guy tried, tried to touch one of them. It disappeared. You know, they saw the ship. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It just sounds like they kind of popped in to see what these people were doing. Which doesn't really make any sense other than like, all right, we're here to make observations and, you know, get our, our little notepads and make our little notes or whatever, or whether they got Blackberries or iPhones or whatever. And they just sort of. Yeah, no, here. extraterrestrials, perhaps a million years in advance of us, are 100% using Blackberries. 100%. It was the accidental no, somebody descendant has to. of the Roswell technology somebody that got to. put out. Yes. Someone yeah. has to wrap Listen, they like the fucking email features. Okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, Rob. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Bob. <laughs> Bobby. Bobby. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I, I'm just going, <laughs> uh, my, my theory with this is that they just showed up to make an observation of these people, which I'm not really sure what, why these people, perhaps, but mm-hmm. if they just happened to pop in to see what they were doing and obviously having a square head and wearing a hood, fucking super creepy. I don't know, do your research, check the shit out, maybe make yourself a little bit more presentable. Not so fucking creepy. That might help. Um, well, yeah, make your, the, you really, you are really, you're shaming visitors right now, just so you know. Make I yourself mean, more presentable. You know, uh, blend in a little bit. Make it, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be so much easier if you're like, I have a weird boxy head helmet and a fucking hood over myself. Like I'm clear. These people are going to clearly have a reaction to me because they, they're the, the quote unquote prowler. So yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, just, you know, run of the mill alien observation, but man, is it fucking weird? That's completely fair. Rob, where are you on this? Where I'm at is like a dichotomy between two elements. One it's the very prosaic. 
It is, it really seems to me foundationally like there was a technological snafu, a shitty engine, a stalled car, and this 40 foot by 14 foot, 13.5 boulder with frog eyes that landed behind trees is a, uh, is a stalled and or broken down vehicle. And when these creatures had, you know, time on their hands to explore the area because they're stuck here, they did so. That's the prosaic side. The more uh, metaphysical is strong, but the more dynamic side is this. Um, They can manifest themselves in ways that are uh, either mind-boggling or in ways they think are going to be easier to tolerate. Because you got to think to yourself, if human beings showed up on a wholly foreign uh, planet that had creatures that were like, you know, bipedal camels with the heads of dolphins. What would we do to fit in? Maybe we would throw like a box on our heads. Maybe we would do things that'd be like, listen, we're essentially bipedal humanoids. We're doing our thing. Mm. We clearly fit in. We're amazing at our fucking disguises. When the indigenous population (laughs) is going to be like, you are not amazing. You are fucking wholly aberrant. And I hate you because you terrify me. (laughs) And they're just box heading around fucking being like, hey, I'm I'm Johnny Hiker in the woods. I can't move my arms and I run. It's just the way humans do it. And who knows what the fuck they were doing and how they were interacting. Maybe they were just taking the time to investigate the people that were geographically closest to them and just trying to assess what's going on. It's like, oh, yeah, they seem to be, you know, kind of intelligent and they're doing their things. And, you know, we're not trying to terrify them. When they get too scared, we disappear. That's certainly going to be a relief, except that when you're in a human's head, it's like, that's the worst fucking way you can go. Run into the woods. Do everything you need to do. Don't just disappear. And they're probably doing their fucking best to observe in an unobtrusive way um, when they have what may be a downed interdimensional slash extraterrestrial. I am not committed to either uh, camp. It could be something else. It could be um, ultra terrestrial. Oh, you love them. And it could also be something that is, um, what is the, like, uh, let's call it mega terrestrial in the sense that they live on a different version of earth, the mega earth where they're just visiting another part of earth, but they're still earthlings, but just oh not of our earth. So mm. Chris is not here recording with us, but he just got no, us. Like Chris a, just a, had a, a stress headache. He just literally had, a, yeah, he literally <laughs> had a headache where he's like, Rob just fucking said something that made my eyes roll fucking eight times in my skull. I like where you're coming with that. That's cool. So it's like the inner, it's like the extra or the uh, the intergalactic flat tire theory, basically. Yeah. Like, oh shit, we got. Some I problems. think I think you're. Yes. I think I think you're in the ballpark. You know, I think yeah. you're there. Could be. Totally. I think. Yeah. You. I mean. You know? And I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And you know what? We can't help but to uh, acknowledge, though I can't cite the specific case, the case in, in France with the bipedal, what he thought were like frogmen entities that the motorcycle drive. We did a podcast on this. Mark oh, yeah, we did. Be able to right, cite yeah. it specifically yeah. where they were wearing specifically box-like helmets. Mm-hmm. And oh. they were just loitering by the hundreds in this field. And this random eyewitness drove up and was like, the fuck I just, and there he saw it and he got out of Dodge as any respectable human being who wants to preserve, you know, their sanity and their life would do. And, and so to me, the boxing helmet, this idea that it's not unknown and, and hiding yourself in a white cloak or a black bodysuit is whatever. But, but to me, it seems to be all dependent on this one 
uh, quote unquote boulder that was not supposed to be there, certainly of obscene size that apparently had fucking frog eyes that was there and then wasn't there. Now that there might've been some people or entities left behind or that they might've visited back after it took off, according to Alan's bathroom uh, account um, to me is secondary to the fact that it seems like there's this object that is truly anomalous and extraordinarily large that should not be there. And there's these entities that are hiking by all accounts or hiding behind a car or saying, Hey man, those burning plastic trucks, are fucking awesome, bro. Do you got any more of that? And, right? and then they're fucking gone soon after. Um, it is boulder specific. And and again, it is either extraterrestrial or interdimensional, but it is to me, the key is this object that was there and then wasn't. Yeah. I, I'm kind of in the spot where this is like a back to the future kind of scenario here. I think, you know, they just... They ended up in 1978. They didn't intend to be in 1978, right. but you know what? They were stuck in 1978 for a little bit, and then they got their shit together and they got out of there. But maybe, just maybe, they came back to observe a little more. Maybe they really enjoyed these people's lifestyle. And, you know, they, they, they wanted to get a little more of it. So, you, you know, know what supports I, your theory, Rob, hmm. is the flared trousers and sleeves yeah. yeah the idea that they're like hey we're here we're fucking not from here get used to it and fucking and it's just like they had let, let's do the bell bottoms hey that's a lot more comfortable the idea that they tried to integrate as limited as this and as i said before if human beings were trying to integrate into a completely different society, the things we might think would be completely passable might be to an indigenous population re fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. Yeah. And these totally. people might be like, hey, I'm just a dude in the woods with my bell bottoms and my fucking yeah. crazy hood and helmet. No big deal. Call me Jay. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. just whatever it is, just doing their fucking thing. They might have thought they were completely passing. And then they mm-hmm. got stared at, and they're like, oh, shit. What do we do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, um, they got me. I think the best way to sum that up is the the power of love is a curious thing. You know, make one oh. man weep, another man sing. So, <laughs> there you go. No, you owned it. Back to fucking future and Huey Lewis in the news. You're right. Oh man. I mean, I was gonna bring it I was gonna bring it to like Kiss for like I was made for loving you, baby, because it's my favorite disco era song. So God bless you both. Oh Oh, god, God. awesome. I mean, I think we nailed it. I I I think I wish we could fit disco inferno in there because that's my jam. But indeed that does not apply at all. But I think you're right. This uh, They don't, listen, they're not offensive. They're not trying to attack. They don't seem to be trying to abduct. They they're just seem, observing. Ma- they're curious. They're doing their thing. They're not um, intentionally or unintentionally, for that matter, nefarious, except for the poltergeist shit, which brings in this whole other dimension, which, which doesn't mean that I think poltergeist events are wholly of an extraterrestrial slash interdimensional origin but that that maybe some of it might represent a broader spectrum um, interaction with intelligences that are not our own. Because, of course, most of the human race, obviously people who don't listen to your podcast, Rob, or people who listen to ours, think that the human being is the apex of intelligence in the known universe, which, of course, we all say, 
pshaw and what a shame <laughs> if it was true um, but but if these other intelligences are manifesting themselves in a way um that are you know intriguing like this and 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 interactive and curious maybe we're just not interacting in the proper form to let them um, become full-on conversationalists. Maybe, I don't know, an axe-wielding Tom hacking Brother Tree, who might be one... And yes, this is me. Plants think and feel and have <laughs> oh, serious man, consciousness. Really? I know I know. Mark and Chris met my ideas on this, but I believe they are sentient members of our Earthican society. And that having been said... If you watch somebody fucking brandishing a weapon, hacking them into pieces, maybe you're going to be less inclined to go over and say howdy to Tom. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's completely it, fair. You turned it into the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but the kids are trees, really? The kids are Listen, trees. Plants Mark, matter. Mark, you need to get yourself a copy of a book called Meditations in Green, and I think that'll change your life, all right? <laughs> There's a lot of things, Rob, that I have to do to change my life. <laughs> I'm gonna put that. I'm gonna put that on my currently working on myself list. So, I mean, let me let me set you up. It's a it's a book about oh, um, no. a guy in Vietnam, but he becomes very like uh, plants rule his life after a certain period of time. So, I think I think you'll dig All it. Right. I think you'll yeah. I think you'll vibe on it. It's All it's right, a good cool. book. Cool. I mean, there are certain plants I absolutely love and indulge in every day, but you know that's oh, God one to- something completely After different. After you massacre so. and immolate them, yeah. I have to cut my lawn, Rob. I'm sorry, my wife. I, I won't thought you were talking about weed, slide. dude. I'm sorry. I yeah, know no, I was talking about weed. Thanks for keeping my fucking code, dude. I'm sorry. I was talking about I'm sorry, weed, but devil's lettuce. <laughs> oh, <Listen>. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Where you need to start is other voices uh, in search of find it on YouTube. Yeah, that's gonna be I, that's I, gonna be your gateway drug yeah. to the truth about plant sentience. Wait, come on, Rob. Seriously, he's gonna watch that and laugh his ass off. He I will, mean... but it's still a gateway drug. <laughs> if you're seven, like I was when I saw it. I oh, mean, God. I caught I caught uh, the cool thing was uh, when I was growing up. They rebroadcast episodes of In Search of at oh, school yeah. on History was, Channel. Yeah, I used to watch those all the all the fucking time. They're they're pretty great. By and large, they were pretty great. I remember the the one about plants having. Right, it wasn't the best. It was not uh, no. Um, it it was not. It was not peak in search of like if oh, if you're boy. talking about in search of it's not going to be the episode that like everybody saw or that everybody recommends yeah. like it's always going to be like Loch Ness and Bigfoot and shit like yeah, that. yeah it's no, not going to be Leonard Nimoy being like bro- uh, this broccoli has anxiety like it's not right. going to happen right like <laughs> you know <laughs> so, sometimes you got to feature someone that talks to yogurt for a living you know like that's, that's- true <laughs> all right fair enough. Uh, but, although that, if I couldn't make a career out of that, I'm not going to lie. I would totally do it. Oh my I, God. You know, <laughs> it's respectable. Mark translates yo play. Fucking doc. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. Chibani motherfucker. Chibani. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I will, I will say list. though, it was the honey Island swamp monster slash the fucking Ogopogo episodes of in search of that fully derailed the rest of my otherwise potentially productive productive life to fucking uh, studying the paranormal the uh honey island swamp monster was to me a fascinating amalgam of mm. atypical bigfoot potentially reptilian whatnot and that's the first documentary i ever endeavored to involve myself with 
And the Ogopogo episode, the very beginning with the fucking child that was knocked off her skis or whatever by the actual creature. And it was, to me, in five minutes more terrifying than the whole of Jaws was. It just yeah. was yeah. life-changing. And I and I lived on a lake, Hugo Lake, which has a, a lake monster, between the point that I was basically one and a half to four years old. And so my earliest memories are of going down to this lake and just swimming in it and going, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> because my anxiety started early but yeah. it's it's because of this and it opened my it opened my mind to just the potential of the things that live and we live next to an apple orchard and i was equally sure because it was a full half acre big that it was home to sasquatch because when you're four you have no perspective on geography in search of is so essential and i don't expect the kids to get it. I don't even expect the kids to get fucking unsolved mysteries because it's so young, but every now and again, you younger listeners, if you take the time to go open-minded into the world of 16 millimeter or fucking NBC TV of the eighties, you will find these little nuggets of intrigue that will blow your mind. Yep. Yeah, you have you're it, absolutely that, correct. That is why we are here today. That's <laughs> that is, that is absolutely correct. So gentlemen, before we get out of here, Plug your stuff. Where can people find you on the internet? Oh, let's see. We got kryptonautpodcast.com. We are available wherever you can get your podcasts at, whether that is, uh, you know, Spotify, uh, the uh, Apple Podcast apps. Wherever there's podcasts, we are there. Uh, you can find us on the Instas and the Twitters and the Facebooks. Uh, just look up Kryptonaut Podcast. Um, I think that's it. Oh, hellerspace.com. We sell stuff. Uh, feel, free to per- <laughs> feel free to purchase it. Yeah, please. Feel, feel free to purchase our stuff. But yeah, don't do it based there. on this. Listen to us first and see if you don't hate yeah. us. Listen, yeah, so just, you know, I, I, they've got my... You've got my seal of approval. I own like five t-shirts, so you're fine. I know, oh, Rob, legit, Rob has a collection that I'm like, damn, I want that shirt. <laughs> and we, we don't and even Rob own and I, the shirts Rob owns. No, you'd be surprised how much of my own merch I don't own. <laughs> like, you know, that, I, got, a, I got nothing. It's 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 fine, man. You but, know, uh, you know, happens. going back at it, Rob, you are one of the most phenomenal encapsulators of bizarre phenomenon I've ever heard. In fact, if anything, I think what we have done this day is impede your ability to tell a good story. And so I apologize to your usual listeners because I understand that the, our fucking, you know, our modus operandi is to just be bizarre, but what you do really is extraordinary. It is beautifully researched. It is impeccably outlined. And you deliver facts in obscure cases that I adore. So I, I've got to say, as a shout out to you, you are literally, you know, amongst like at the tippity top, if not the apex of my favorite podcasts. And I thank you for the effort you put into it. Yeah, thank you. Definitely. If you're trying to make me cry, stop it. You need you need to stop that right now. But uh, no, that that means a fuck ton, dude, and I, I I appreciate that. And like you guys, definitely drive me to be a better researcher through and through. I mean, people look at you guys and like all of these obscure cases that you cover, and like, man, they're they're getting more exposure because you covered them. You brought them to the forefront, so. It's because of that work that I work as hard as I do. So, you know, awesome. I'm yeah. not as good as I am, as you claim I am without you guys. So, <laughs> oh, oh. 
the, actually, there have been moments in our podcast where I've brought up facts, and I'm like, I heard it on Our Strange Skies from Rob Christopherson. It's fucking true. <laughs> so, oh, no. And we all accept it as fact because Mark says that. It's like, oh, then yes, clearly we don't need to vet this yeah. any further. But thank exactly. you. Thank you, yeah, Rob. Yeah, Honestly. Thank you, it, thank it, you so very makes, much. Yeah. And makes me from my From my own perspective, obviously, you know, Rob and I being listeners or whatever, it's kind of weird when you get to sit down and actually record an episode of a podcast that you normally like listen to and you're like oh i wish i could interject but i can now yeah i know yeah it. it's absolutely. weird we got yeah, to fuck up weird. one of your great podcasts <laughs> <laughs> you say that but like when this thing goes up it'll probably have the most amount of downloads oh, in that, that episode be, that i have it, so, awesome. it's a phenomenal case totally. you bring the best of the best rob honestly and it's just so you're just ridiculously good and obscure, and I love it. I really, I rely on, yeah, on no, you, thank you. Thank you for to having bring us. veracity awesome. to a lot of the obscure shit I love, and thank you for what you do. On This is not a mutual appreciation society at all. This is just me being legit. As a fan, I love what you do, and what you do really uh, boggles my mind, and more acutely uh, makes me envious and hate you a little, which, again, is the finest compliment <laughs> I can give. But yes. more importantly, it makes me respect you, and it makes me appreciate this chance that we finally had to uh, interject on one of your phenomenal research pieces. Thank you. Yeah, Rob, thank you so very much for having us. I appreciate you guys coming on. It has been so fucking fun to like laugh about this terrifying fucking case. So- terrifying. <laughs> no, I mean, let's, not, let's not dismiss the family's plight here when yes. all is said and done it's a fucking horror show and my yeah, heart but, goes out yeah, 77 couple... or not 77 to 78 it is a fucking nightmare yeah, yeah but we got some laughs out of it and you know what they're okay so there you go yeah they're gonna be fine you know yeah, they're fine. Ah! no big deal they, they should be. And, and if not, maybe they'll reach out. I've had family members of witnesses reach out. So you never know. Oh, cool. Maybe we'll hear yeah. something from you. You never maybe, know. Awesome. Maybe well, we will. And if you, you do, I awesome. hope you bring us back for a second reassessment of the post-traumatic oh, yeah. stress that these poor yeah, really. have received. If, if there is anything that comes forward, there will be an update episode with you two gentlemen. Awesome. I mean, I'm down for it. Let me know. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. In in the meantime, folks, don't forget to look up because you never know what you're going to find in our strange skies or in South Middleton in this fucking Gold family fucking (laughs) property (laughs) in gray. We trust. Yes. Yeah.